Welcome to worship at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. Welcome into beloved community. Wherever you are, however you found us, we hope that you will be acknowledged and known and that you flourish here. We welcome all. Find our worship bulletin and the sermon text at ndpc.org. Members and visitors are welcome to join us again next week for Christian Education for Children at 8.45 a.m. and for Adults at 9.30 a.m. We meet at 10.30 for fellowship time and for worship at 11 a.m. All at ndpc.org. We will hear this morning in just a minute a story, a post-resurrection story that features Thomas, who has come to be known as Doubting Thomas, what would we do without Thomas? Thomas gives us all permission to do what we're already doing as part of the life of faith, which is to ask questions, which is to poke into what is true and provoke an answer from God, to ask the deep questions, to wonder out loud whether these incredible, wonderful, improbable things could really be true. Thomas gives us permission to doubt. Another Thomas, Thomas Merton, wrote this about the Christian faith. Merton said, we too often forget that faith is a matter of questioning and struggle before it becomes one of certitude and peace. You have to doubt and reject everything else in order to believe firmly in Christ. And after you have begun to believe, your faith itself must be tested and purified. Christianity is not merely a set of foregone conclusions. Faith, Merton says, tends to be defeated by the burning presence of God in mystery. Faith seeks refuge from God Faith flies instead to comfortable social forms and safe convictions in which purification is no longer an inner battle but a matter of outward gesture. Merton suggests that we do all that we can to evade and avoid the rigorous inner testing of faith which is part of the process, a necessary part of the process of coming to know God. So many of the great teachers of our faith have said something similar, that faith is not a matter of certitude. It's not about true and false or black and white, but that faith opens us up to a three-dimensional way of thinking about the world that sees nuance and context. Our faith leads us to look for truth in things like beauty and goodness. Faith makes us wonder what it is to say that we see. Faith makes us ask, what it is to say that we know. Faith makes us wonder 
whether we even have any words at all to describe our experience of God's presence and God's love. Faith often finds its most complete and fullest expression in silence. Will you be silent with me? Let us doubt the good news of the resurrection so that we might believe the good news of the resurrection. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Love has the final word. Alleluia. Amen. Typically, I'm, I'm a lectionary guy. Uh, it's nice to have verses picked for me, and it's nice because I'm not good at making decisions when I have too many options. This is true for me. If you ever went with a to a buffet with me um, before the pandemic when we would go to buffets, my plate would always be just a total disaster. I would have lasagna and french fries and key lime pie for dessert, and nothing went together and nothing made any sense. 
and it's because I had too many options. It would be a catastrophe every time I went. I was just overwhelmed by all the choices I have. And what's true for me at buffets is also true for the Christian scriptures. This Bible is a big book, and sometimes I'm overwhelmed at all that's available to preach on. And so I love the lectionary. It just gives me something. I also love it because it's got tradition, right? Tradition is important. Congregations all around the community and all around the globe read from the same passages each week and hear sermons based on those passages. I think that's really neat and really cool. It kind of forms this water cooler discussion for you during the week about the lectionary text. But sometimes congregations also form their own local traditions. And we have one here at North Decatur. On the third Sunday of every month, we read the, vic the, the names of gun violence victims in the state of Georgia. And these local traditions, born out of earnest prayer and desire, sometimes don't line up with the lectionary text. And given the high number of names being read this month, this week from last month, given the circumstances around Dante Wright's death, and also the fact that this list includes uh, the victims of the mass shootings that targeted Atlanta's Asian community, this is a heavy week. And I have a unique task before me. I have to talk about the resurrected Christ and the shadow of Easter in a way that acknowledges the pain and suffering and injustice that is still in our state in 2021. And so today we need to talk about the resurrection in a way that names these tensions. And so I'm going to a familiar story, the story of Thomas. I think it does it well. So open up your Bible with me to a familiar passage for us to explore. John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. Here's the reading, starting in verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and said, And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and I put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the same house, and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So today is the third Sunday of Easter. In the Eastern Orthodox tradition, it's called the Sunday of the Myrrh Bearers. They call it this because they honor the women who, unlike the disciples, weren't afraid to show themselves at the tomb of Jesus. And you know the rest of the story. The women that go to this empty tomb get this whole thing started. 
they proclaim the risen Christ. But for the rest of us, today feels like April 18th, another Sunday between Easter and the end of the school year. I call it the already not yet of summer vacation, if you will. But I don't think that this weird in-between feeling, the moment after a big event where we're kind of living in the shadow and just waiting for the next big thing is unique to us. Imagine the parents of Jesus after the crazy circumstances around his conception and the surreal glory of his birth, waking up for midnight feedings and changings, telling Jesus not to run so far ahead that they couldn't see him, teaching him to work, teaching him to pray. Imagine how Peter felt soaked with the Galilee seawater after his failed attempt to walk with Jesus on its surface, sitting in the boat shivering while they row back toward the shore. Imagine the crowds walking home after a healing and the teachers and the lawyers going back to their book after a public confrontation with this weird upstart rabbi from the countryside. Imagine the silence in Pilate's court after Jesus was led away and the people dispersed. Remember Holy Saturday, the day that we don't hear about in scripture, that stretch of quiet between death and resurrection? I don't think we're strangers to this lull that comes after something big has happened. And then there's Thomas. It's really important to talk about Thomas, especially on a day like today. I'm sure many of you know this feeling, surrounded by believers proclaiming the risen Lord, and it feels like you're the only one who can't get with the program. We, and by we, I mean the church, we live most of our lives in the weeks after Easter, and most of us, I think, are more like Thomas than anyone else. We're told there's been a miracle. People we know, people we respect, people we love insist upon this miracle, and yet we've seen nothing with our own eyes. And days like today, when we name and we pray for the victims of gun violence in Georgia in the month of March, days like today, make it really easy to sympathize with Thomas. Typically, we chastise and reject doubters. In my experience, even the places where they say doubt is welcome, this happens. We get told we're overthinking or we're trying too hard or we need to look at it from a different angle. And even when we doubt, we're extremely hard on ourselves. But in this passage, I love this, the disciples and Jesus, they do not chastise Thomas for his doubting. I mean, the scene is remarkably intimate. They work it out in that room, in community, together. Our spiritual heritage, think about this, our spiritual heritage, how this message got spread, came from the men and women in that locked room who worked it out. You and I, this church, the communion of saints, exist out of the tension between the faith and the doubt of that locked room. That's what we do. We believe and we doubt together. That's what it is to be a Christian. One doesn't come without the other. Jesus' revealing of his wounds, Thomas's proclamation that he has seen the Lord, the celebration and the fear that is present all in that room, all show us the multi-layered emotions that we feel as Christians. Now, there's no word that can fully capture that multi-layered feeling, and I don't have a big vocabulary, but the closest word I got and the best word I got is joy. And you've likely heard joy as just a deeper version of happiness, right? Happiness is what we feel when we eat a donut or when we get a good bowl of ice cream. But joy, joy has a more layered dimension. Joy doesn't gloss over. You could say the scars are still evident with joy. Joy is what we can ascribe to that room. 
Joy is what Thomas and Mary Magdalene and the myrrh bearers feel because they've experienced it all. They've experienced the pain, the doubt, the wonder, and the mystery. All of that, all of the things we can name, all the emotions we can name, and the emotions we can't name, I would say is the embodiment of Christian joy. And I hope, I really hope that this year, 2020 into 2021, has taught you that you don't have to muster up happiness after a year of negligence and cruelty by the powerful, a year of loss after loss, of grief, of isolation, of nobody to mourn with. Joy is coming for you because you have been weeping. Joy is weeping with you. You don't need to do anything to find joy. You don't need to join a gym. You don't need to switch diets. Joy has already come. It comes in the weeping and the naming and the praying. It comes when we feel overburdened by the injustice of the world. These multi-layered feelings that I all ascribe to joy is what moves the wheel of justice forward. It's what gets things going. And I want to say this on this particular Sunday as these names are read, because happiness has nothing to offer the brokenhearted and the burdened. And the word joy has been stolen by many department stores and by capitalistic phrases just to be another synonym for happiness. But what resurrection joy can show us and what Christ shows Thomas is the scars of his human life. Jesus was in part murdered because a system was rigged against him and those who looked like him. He rose in the same body to show the disciples that he remembers the pain that he felt on the cross. He remembers his humanity post-resurrection. And today, Christ still remembers what it is to be human. He rises with the wounds that are still fresh from the events of Good Friday, as if to say the resurrected body isn't an orb or a ghost, but instead is a figure who still very much feels and bears scars. What I'm trying to say is that to be Christ-like, to be divine, isn't to conceal our pain. We aren't being more Christ-like when we demonstrate ourselves as healed or as overcomers, but instead the sign of the resurrection is letting our community see our wounds. And I believe strongly in the resurrection, and as someone who believes strongly in the resurrection and its power, I want you to know that the joy that comes from the resurrection must begin by naming the places that most need the presence of God in them. Our country has built itself on this idea of individualism, and it's ripping us apart. I want to submit to you that being a follower of Jesus, a God-fearer, begins by recognizing our interdependence. The relationship we have with God and with each other through Jesus' work is described with familial language as often as anything else. Adoption, siblinghood, childhood, co-inheritance. We belong to each other. And the disciples knew it, and they were in a community in a much deeper way than simply choosing to associate. They were in a community that had way little to do with their choices and much to do with God's. Our faith teaches us that community isn't a social club, it's much more like a fishing net. Fashioned strong and flexible to carry us and all the things we bring to it. God carries our doubts, our fears, our anxieties, our questions, our groanings, our hopes, our anxieties, it all goes into the net. And the net is strong. Even when we are weak, the net is strong. 
that goes into the locked rooms and the locked places and shows us the Christ who comes to bring peace. And so these names will be read, and there are a lot of them. And the reading of these names can lead one to all sorts of feelings of despair. Christ holds these burdens tenderly and gently. And may we be like the myrrh bearers at the tomb, honoring these names, saying them, remembering them, and working for justice. Amen.